Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys toward wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a sustained 50-pound weight loss and self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches, and together with our community, we are learning to live our most courageous lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys, and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness, and empower you to feel your absolute best. Join us as we in our community share our courageous wellness. For Breast Cancer Awareness Month, this week we sit down with Charlotte Martin, breast cancer survivor and advocate. In October of 2018, Charlotte was diagnosed with stage one HER2 breast cancer at the age of 31, an extremely rare form of breast cancer with a one in 10,000 chance of contraction at such a young age. Charlotte was able to detect it at an early stage because she performed regular self breast exams. In the years leading up to her own diagnosis, her doctors had all declined to do mammogram checks because she was quote, too young and too healthy, even though her own mother had suffered from breast cancer. What followed after her diagnosis was chemotherapy, IVF treatments, a double mastectomy, and the large price tag and emotional toil that came with it all. You know, Allie, talking to Charlotte really reminded me of an experience I had about a year ago when we found a fibroenoma. It's a non-cancerous tumor in my breast. And I also felt it and found it on my own in the shower during uh, an exam. And, you know, when I brought it up to my doctor, he, he couldn't actually feel it, but because so wonderful and I'm so grateful for him. He decided to do an ultrasound and we were able to monitor it, figure out what it was. And yeah, it was terrifying to find like a lump in your breast and have your doctor not know what it was originally. But again, like knowledge is power. And if I didn't do that self exam, he never would have done an ultrasound. He never would have really checked further for it because I was a healthy 30 year old young woman. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've never had that experience with my breasts, but as even my own cancer journey, like if I hadn't stayed on it, I, you know, I was actually told to ignore it. So I think Charlotte's story and our little experiences as well, like it just shows you that you really have to be your own health advocate. Um, so we're really grateful to her for sharing her own experience and uh, fighting for women to have early checks, you know, be your own health advocate and um, on a breast cancer awareness month. Yeah. Everyone go get checked and, you know, touch your breasts in the shower and make sure you're okay. And we hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you all for tuning in. We have an exciting new discount for our listeners with Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic offers superfood coffee and elixirs to upgrade your daily routine. The powerful antioxidants, antiviral effects, and immune-boosting properties of mushrooms transform your cup of joe from an energy-boosting treat to a health-enhancing choice. Along with mushroom coffee, Four Sigmatic also offers mushroom elixirs, mushroom hot cocos, and other shroom-filled products. 
Erica uses the lion's mane in her morning superfood coffee. And even though I hate mushrooms, I absolutely love the products, especially the matcha latte powder, which contains myataki mushrooms and adaptogens. For 10% off Four Sigmatic products, visit foursigmatic.com and use the code COURAGEOUS at checkout. And there's also a direct link in our show notes. So welcome, Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining us today. To get things started, can you share with us your very personal journey? Yes, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me and for allowing me this opportunity to use my voice and share my my journey um, with breast cancer. Um, I like to kind of share my journey in like a perspective of like stages because there's so many different parts to, you know, being diagnosed and the treatment options. Um, but I was diagnosed with uh, HER2 breast cancer in October, 2018. Um, HER2 breast cancer is, it tests positive for a protein called the human epidermal growth factor receptor two. So it's not as common um, as, you know, a typical invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, it's not inherited and it's definitely considered, um, you know, a somatic gene mutation. And it's really interesting because when I found out it wasn't inherited, um, my mother is also a breast cancer survivor that had the same type of breast cancer as me. So I thought, my gosh, how is this? How did my mom have the same type of breast cancer as I did? And I actually, in the early stages, um, I did genetic testing and we both came back as negative for having the genetic mutation. So uh, really interesting. But so yeah, October, 2018, um, I was in my apartment getting ready for a trip. I was heading to Denver, Colorado for a weekend it was on September 17th and, you know, I found the lump myself. I was at home in my room. I've always been really comfortable with my body, um, comfortable, you know, noticing any changes or anything like that. So I found the lump myself and I, I immediately was like, gosh, okay, something, something's not right. This, this doesn't feel normal. It was a really hard lump. It was a little small mass and then it had like a tiny pea and I thought, gosh, okay, this isn't right. I've got to get situated as soon as possible. So I did my best. I was at the airport about to board my plane and I'm, you know, I'm phone calling different doctors and I'm like, I've got to get an appointment to have this checked out as soon as possible. Well, I went to Colorado, had this wedding, was there the whole time, like at the back of my mind thinking, okay, do I have fun? Do I stress? Do I have maybe one or two more drinks to ease the stress? <laughs> Just trying to really um, let forget about it for a moment. Um, but I was able to get an appointment the next week. Um, and that was a week later, which is quite significant, really, in the scale of like appointments with doctors, you never really know when you're going to get in. But you know, I did mention that my mom's a survivor also. So I think they saw the importance of getting me in pretty quickly. So, you know, I went to my gynecologist and he was like, yep, that, that doesn't seem normal. So, you know, the next day I was scheduled for an ultrasound. And when I went to the doctor um, to have the ultrasound, I think just instinctively as a woman, we, we have such a great like gut feeling. And I think you can see in people's eyes, you can you can pick up on the energy. I think women are very intuitive. And I, when I went in to have, you know, the biopsy taken and the ultrasound, um, 
I just knew something wasn't right. The radiologist came in and he was like, you know, I think I'd like to get a mammogram taken. And then I just started shaking because I thought, oh my gosh, like this is happening. And the first thing I thought of was my mom because I just, I had flashbacks of my mom going through all her treatment and how terrified she was and how painful the mammogram was. And I had the mammogram and I remember just sitting there and in that moment, I just started, I started crying because I was so scared and I thought, oh, like something just doesn't feel right. And sure enough, you know, I got the results and a week later is when they diagnosed me with um, invasive ductal carcinoma. And they needed to do a couple more tests after that until they were able to really figure out and determine like the staging and what type of breast cancer it was. Um, but everything happened quite quickly. So within a matter of like a couple days, um, you know, I was scheduled with um, an oncologist that was recommended to me from my gynecologist. Um, but, you know, it was just really surreal and it was so unexpected because I was 31 years old. I was healthy you know, um, I ate well, didn't drink much, very rarely. I exercised. Um, it just really came out of the blue because I had been caring for my mom with breast cancer just a couple years before. So the last thing I was thinking was, gosh, this is going to be my fate too. Um, so, you know, I met with a couple doctors and you know, it's very, it's a very stressful thing to meet with different doctors because you don't really know what to ask. You're kind of just like leaving it to them. You're like, what, what do you think? Um, but it soon became very apparent that I needed to possibly get second opinions and maybe see what, you know, another doctor, um, what feedback they had or, um, you know, perhaps I, I was very adamant that I wanted to be seen at UCLA as it's, uh, you know, a hospital system that's very well recognized within the country. And it's on, you know, just down the street from me. So I thought, right, whatever I do, I've got to find a doctor that's with UCLA. And the first doctor I met with, he wasn't. Um, and again, like my gut feeling kicked in. I was like, something's not right here. The photos he's showing me are just, just so horrendous. It broke my heart to see. And I thought, I've got to keep researching. So you know, I did some research and um, I found the team. And the team is a team of women, all of them, three women doctors, all at UCLA. And that really was a turning point for me. Um, but I will say this, you know, leading up to my diagnosis, I lived in Denver, Colorado. I was in my 20s. I always went to go see my gynecologist like regularly. I always said, you know, I have a history of breast cancer in my family. Um, and you know, you have to kind of list these things because if you're on birth control, they, they ask you all these questions and I said, should I get a mammogram? And they all were like, no, nope, you're too young. You're too healthy. You're only in your twenties. And you put a lot of faith into the healthcare system. You put a lot of faith into the doctors that you're seeing and you're like, okay, I trust you. If that's what you think is best, that's what I'll do. And I didn't have a mammogram. And I, I didn't have a mammogram throughout my entire 20s because I was told I was too young and healthy. So when I was diagnosed, my oncologist said to me, you've actually had breast cancer in your system for a couple of years. And I thought, hold on, what? A couple years? So I explained to her, you know, being denied mammograms. And if I had had a mammogram 
when I requested it, it could have been picked up prior to any staging. It would have been so early on in the journey of it developing in my body. And that to me was a real wake up point because I thought I didn't know that and how many hundreds of thousands of women have a family history of breast cancer that are just walking away, possibly with cancer already developing and not addressing it. Um, so that was a real turning point in where I felt like I needed to go in my journey and, and the voice that I needed to use and the message that I really needed to start sharing. Um, you know, so fast forward a little bit more, um, diagnosed in October and then uh, I found my team and my team recommended that I do six rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and then I actually personally elected to do the double mastectomy. It wasn't required. I was only stage one. It hadn't spread to my lymph nodes, but I just thought, you know, I really don't want to be going in every three months to get a mammogram and ultrasound. I was like, my anxiety levels are just going to be like through the roof if I have to do that every three months. So um, I had six rounds of chemotherapy. I started it on December 26, just after Christmas. I wanted to do it after Christmas. I wanted my hair. I was like, I just want one Christmas where I feel fabulous. I still have my hair. I had it trimmed a little bit. Um, so six rounds of chemo. I did the, the double mastectomy and, and you know, I'm here now and, and there was so much testing and so much anx anxiousness and anxiety, but you know, I've learned so much from, you know, the beginning and so much about like the process that you're not educated about at all. And now there are many different foundations and different platforms where, you know, women like myself are using their voice and sharing all the details of their journey from the good, the bad, the ugly to everything. And I praise those women because that's what we need. We need these voices to really be heard a lot more. Um, but you know, it was tough. It was really tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, first of all, thank you for coming on our show and sharing your story because also as someone who was diagnosed with a rare cancerous tumor at 29, who was also like, I was, I can relate to your story a little bit in the sense of yeah. it came out of the blue, um, with no family history, uh, of any cancer. I mean, other than like two generations ahead. Um, it's, it's a strange experience. Um, and I think it's really important to, especially for young people too, to understand that this is something to be aware of and, and having an awareness of it through stories like yours is, is actually in a really empowering thing because yes, it's scary as we both know, sort of like that when you get, when you hear the C word of any kind, you're like, what? But, um, but prevention and, and like early detection, I should say early detection can be so, so empowering in any kind of process with cancer. So as much as it does create so much anxiety and fear to like really uh, create knowledge and understanding about the process and about what early detection can look like. And also, you know, you describing really being your own health advocate, no matter what the circumstances are. I think that's 
such a vital like concept. And um, I know for myself, I had to learn that too. And I can relate to that as well. So I just, I think it really helps empower other people, no matter what sort of health issues they might come across to really be like, okay, I'm going to trust this feeling I have. I'm going to ask these questions. If something doesn't feel right with this doctor, I'm going to seek another one and continue until you know that you're receiving the best possible care for you, which might be different than for someone else. No, I agree. And, you know, early detection saved my life. Yeah. And I think that you are a hundred percent right. I think a lot of people, um, I don't, I think they have a tough time, whether it's disbelief, denial. I think, you know, the one thing that I've been advocating for is just loving yourself and knowing that you are the only person that will really fight for your body. Your partner can't do that. Your friends can't do that. Your family members can't even do that. It's really, you are your own advocate. And um, that's one thing I just, the message I just keep drilling in is early detection, early detection. And, and that's the same, that could be for any type of illness, you know, it doesn't have to be cancer, but especially breast cancer. Um, it can be so invasive and it can spread so quickly to the lymphatic system, um, especially right next to, next to the breast in your armpits. And, you know, as soon as it goes into the lymphatic system, really that, that changes the staging and it changes like the patient's outcome because then, you know, you're in a position possibly where it can become metastatic, which, you know, is, it's devastating. And, you know, I think, um, knowing your body, because if you, if you don't know your body, you can't notice any changes. You know, if you've got a lump growing and you're just in the shower and, you know, you're feeling right over it and you're not really doing anything about it. That's a really, that's the discussion we need to have more is if you notice something, you've got to go and get seen. Um, yeah. and you've got to just own up to the reality of something's not right. And, you know, I, I believe it or not, I had a girlfriend after all my advocacy and she, you know, she posted something um, online about leaving a lump, leaving it. And I thought to myself, I was like, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> we need to really be, you know, stronger in ourselves and know that just make the phone call, just get it checked. Once it's checked, once it's biopsied, you're great. And I think too, again, going with your gut feeling because when I was first diagnosed, I actually had a couple friends reach out to me that I hadn't spoken to in just previous coworkers in, gosh, it must've been seven years. And she said, I'm so glad you shared your story. She's like, I've actually been going through breast cancer myself. Mm-hmm. I hadn't spoken to her. I hadn't seen anything online from her. And it broke my heart because I thought you're, you're, you are suffering in silence. Mm-hmm. And she said, I, I went to the doctor. She said, I found a, a lump. It, they told me it was a cyst and just to be on the watch and wait list. And three months later, she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Wow. Yeah. So there's certainly an importance to really following up and standing your ground. I have many girlfriends now that when the doctor says you're too young for a mammogram or, you know, you don't have a family history, I'm like, no, no, no. Do yeah. not settle for that. 
You insist upon it. And when you insist, they actually do it, which is the shocking part that they won't do it prior to you having to really stomp your feet in the doctor room. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you do need to change your doctor, right? And I think that part of it is like if you there's no problem in getting a second opinion or trusting yourself and your doctor is supposed to work for you. It's not this, like you're not bound (laughs) if you don't have trust. And I, I had a situation, um, right after I turned 30 in a similar way with a different outcome, but I was in the shower and I felt something and I was like, whoa, what is this? Um, and yeah, I had just turned 30 years old. And I went to my OBGYN. I had, um, you know, my annual was scheduled around that time anyway. And um, he checked me out because I told him to, right? And he was so like, I love my doctor so much because he he was so great. And he checked me out and we did an ultrasound and he found it. And fortunately, it's it's I have something called like a fibroanoma, which is a non-cancerous little lump and tumor. But um we monitored it and we looked at it. Right. And, and I think it's like, you just, and I was, had just turned 30 years old, you know, we still monitor it and look at it because you know, you just never know. So I think the more, but when that had happened to me, like we're talking about, I had just turned 30, nobody I know talked about it, went through it. And since then I've, I've heard so many other women in their late twenties and thirties who feel something, they go, they get it checked out. And, um, yeah, it might just be, you know, it, it might just be nothing like in my situation, but what if it isn't right? Like we have to, um, we just have to change. I think the way we think about our health and our advocacy, but especially because, I mean, this is obviously leading into a different conversation, but, um, we had another episode about um, breast cancer and recovery with a dear friend of mine, um, Amy Brubaker. And so anyone listening, um, she's a mom of two little kids and you can listen to that episode as well. But she also, she was in her forties, early forties, no, no history, nothing. And same, just felt something in the shower. And even it's just, we have to really get used to being like, we don't have to wait for the doctor to find it or say something or do something. We can do it ourselves. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor and one of our favorite wellness brands, Ned. Ned produces the highest quality full spectrum CBD from organic hemp plants sourced entirely from an independent farm in Colorado. After interviewing co-founder Adrian Zimmerman on the podcast and trying their products, Allie and I were both instant fans of the products and of the company. As someone who struggles with anxiety, my favorite product is definitely the full spectrum hemp oil line. I notice a huge difference in my anxiety, sleep, and general mood when I take it consistently, so I have made it part of my daily self-care routine. Every day I use the 750 milligram tincture and do two droplets under my tongue in the morning and evening. I also love applying the hemp infused body butter to my neck and shoulders before bed as I am winding down and always use my tincture as an alternative to any pain medication if I get hit with a headache. What's great about Ned is that they also offer a North Star membership where with zero commitment, I can have my favorite products delivered monthly at an extra discount with free shipping and no annual fee. I have also become a dedicated user of Ned products and have been able to replace my monthly use of ibuprofen to manage period discomfort with Ned's Natural Cycles collection of salves, tinctures, and roll-ons. 
This collection is slow crafted with love from an extraordinary group of women and provides a more holistic anti-inflammatory and natural pain relief option. Also, I recently started incorporating Ned's limited release immunity blend tincture into my routine as well. This blend combines botanicals, herbs, and fungi to offer functional immune support. 100% of profits are donated to EcoHealth Alliance to support their fight against pandemics and promotion of conservation. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Courageous Wellness audience. Go to www.helloned.com slash podcast. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash podcast to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. We know you're going to love it. You can also find the direct link in our show notes and check out all of their wellness products. Now back to the episode. I agree with you. And you know, I, uh, one thing that's really important to know about breast cancer is when, um, when you feel the lump specifically relating to like breast cancer, um, when it's developed, when it's come to the point where it's intrusive and you can feel it, that's when it's become invasive. Cancer is in your body for a couple years before we actually feel it. It's growing, it's developing, the cells are kind of coming together. So when it's got to the lump stage, that is when not a moment should wait. Mm. That is when it's become invasive. You need to get it seen immediately because every day, every week that goes by is a better diagnosis for you long-term wise. The longer right. it's left, the more it can spread. So that's my advice. Like if you do find a lump, get it checked. But if it is something, if it is breast cancer, then every moment should be researching, you know, if you need to change your diet, do so and be active. You know, that's, I think being active is so important. You know, I was so lazy for so many years. <laughs> I wasn't really like, I'll be honest. I this I do think it was a contributor to me getting breast cancer but I really didn't prioritize fitness I was kind of one of those girls that was like oh you know I'll do a hike in a couple weeks and I'll be so healthy and fit but you know you've really got to break into a sweat every day mm. that should be a goal and I've recently bought a trampoline and I am bouncing like crazy because <laughs> too lazy to get out of the house but I'm like you know what I'm going to do 15 minutes on my trampoline and I, it's the equivalent to a 40 minute run and I'm dripping and I'm like done we're good <laughs> yeah Erica didn't you recently buy a trampoline too I did I did for the lymphatic drainage yeah. and all of that you just <laughs> jump it's so nice but I'm gonna yeah. have to join the club um, well I think that's what's so interesting too and this is like it's a different conversation and you know I don't definitely not an expert in discussing this, but from conversations we've had, like with, um, we just did one with Dr. Q Collins. Um, and you know, people are getting cancer younger and younger and younger. And I think it is like, of course, it's not about living in fear or being like, you know, there are so many things we can't control in our environments, but you know, our food, the way we eat and live, you know, can, play a role. And that's not to say if we get cancer, we get sick, it's our fault or it's in our control or anything like that. But as a preventative measure, 
the more control we do have over what we're eating, the way we're living, the way we're moving our body, I think it is something that um, is important, you know? Yeah. I think too, diet is everything. Diet, I, I, I like to believe there's always a balance. I'm not one of those, even when I was diagnosed, you know, the first thing I thought of was don't drink, only eat vegetables. Like, and I'll never forget the day my oncologist was like, uh, kale is not magic and sugar didn't give you cancer. And I was like, where have you been? Because it's been a very stressful couple of weeks. I was pretty sure the sugar in my coffee gave me cancer. And I was also pretty sure that like kale smoothies were going to, you know, change my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I think diet, you really have to have a nice balance. Yeah. Exactly. We, I think we agree with that. The balance. Absolutely. Is. And I had a friend and this is a very, very sort of sad outcome who was like, who suffered with breast cancer from quite an early age. I think her earliest diagnosis was in her twenties. Um, and she wound up passing away at age 33 and she was a strict vegan. And it's like, we are, Erica and I are big components of like diet and lifestyle being such a massive, um, component of health. But there are also things, as you said, that are just sometimes out of your control as well. And I think we as humans try to, um, find a reason for everything that happens. And we don't know sometimes, and we just have to deal with the information at hand and make the best possible choices for ourselves at any given moment. And that's all the, that's the best that you can do. Um, I'm curious about your process. Can you share with us a little bit about what it was like both physically and emotionally to go through chemo? Um, it was, life-changing to say the least you know i the charlotte elizabeth martin that i knew left i lost my identity um you know i had i was i knew i was going to lose my hair and i had the opportunity to do an ice cold cap but it was five thousand dollars to do a cold cap and i thought who has just an extra $5,000 sitting around to maybe save your hair? And I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I got it. I'm going to save that money. Um, so I did trim my hair and I lost, I, it started coming out. So I had my first chemo and I was prepared that going closer to your second chemo, the hair would start falling out. And I was going to shave my head and I thought, oh, I'll just wait a little bit longer. Well, sure enough, 11 days into my first chemo, I will never forget the day I had got into an argument with uh, my boyfriend that day and I was just going through so much. We were both going through so much and I think the stress and the anxiety and the sadness just peaked at that day. I went to my girlfriend's house and I'll never forget the day I, I took a shower at her place and it came out in clumps, like clumps of hair. And that was one of the most traumatizing moments of the entire experience because I went home, obviously, you know, my boyfriend and I made up, I said, grab the clippers. I said, it's time. We've waited a couple days too late. I wanted to get it out off before that. Um, I shaved my head that day. It was very empowering to do that. Very empowering because in that moment I took control. 
And I thought, you know what? Cancer hasn't got me. Chemo hasn't got me. I've got, I've got it. I'm Charlotte and I can do this. Shaved my head and you know, there were so many different side effects from, you know, having a little bit of nausea at first, um, you know, different side effects, like, you know, constipation and weight gain. And there's so many things that, you know, individuals go through with chemotherapy that no one can really ever understand it. When you first have it, it feels like you have the worst flu that you could ever have for like a week. And you can't move and you have the aches and you're like, oh, maybe I could take an ibuprofen. And you're like, oh, no, it's chemo. Ibuprofen's not going to do anything. Um, but I think the weight gain with no hair was the, the real kicker for me. I lost my identity and I didn't feel sexy. I, I, it was very hard for me to want to be intimate with my partner because I thought, why, why would you want to like... <laughs> I'm like a bald ostrich right now. Like I'm not exactly the hottest thing out there, <laughs> but God bless him. Um, he always reinforced, you know, you're beautiful. And I really, the one thing I think I learned the most was that beauty is truly on the inside. And we always talk about this where I think we're in a, a, a real movement in our society now where we're really encouraging women to like love their bodies and embrace who they are. But when you have no hair and you're a good 20 pounds overweight, you're a force to love yourself. And I let the inner me, the personality of Charlotte, the humor, the silliness, I must've had a different character every week. And I was running around the house and, you know, doing impressions of different characters from movies. And that my, I want to say like my light was never dimmed. It maybe was for a little moment, but I knew that when I felt comfortable with who I was, I was like, you know what? I'm still me. I, no one can take my humor away. No one can take my personality away. And I think that was probably the toughest was just, you know, we grow up and our hair is a part of who we are. You know, you change the color, you change the style. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in a place now where I've, I've kind of lost some of that weight, but I, I really feel for the women still going through it because you look at yourself in the mirror and you really have to say, I mean, there are many days where I looked in the mirror and I said, I love you. I love who you are. You're perfect because you're not seeing what you're so used to seeing. And, um, I would definitely say, you know, just the, the different changes your body goes through with, um, just not being what you've known your whole life. <laughs> What would you suggest for, right, like friends and family, for if anybody listening knows somebody who is going through this, how would you suggest for, and I'm sure it's different for everybody, but how did you need to be supported and um, how did you want your friends and family to show up for you during that time? Um, good question. And you know, there's, there's one thing that you really find out during a cancer journey and it's the friends that do show up and friends that don't and you very quickly distinguish who are really great people in your life and who are the people that you thought were really good friends that really don't need to be in your life anymore because if they're not showing up then then you just don't need them at all um i did find it really hard i had a lot of messages a lot of messages and i became very overwhelmed 
because you're having to repeat your journey, repeat your story very much. And it was, you know, I had to just uh, start saying, I'm so sorry, I haven't got back to you. But it, I think having too many messages was almost too overwhelming. I know a lot of people, you know, they want to comfort you. They want to send a message of hope. I think the best way to show up is um, being there for yourself or your partner with things to um, ease the day-to-day stress. So when I say that, I mean cooking a meal, dropping off a meal for myself or your partner that they could maybe freeze and put away. Or I know it sounds so silly, but, you know, supporting in a way of like, you know, do you need a cleaner? Do you need someone to help out around the house? Can I take your stuff to the dry cleaner? It's day-to-day things like really showing up in person and helping with those tasks that, you know, when I was going through treatment, I certainly wasn't cleaning. And my boyfriend, God bless him, you know, I typically take a lot of that on in the household. So we had the cleaner come once a week, was in the house helping with laundry. And I think the best thing is to really ask how they can support with their day-to-day needs. Can I take you to an appointment? Um, Can I pick up your medication for you? It's just relieving those extra steps that would that would be my advice yeah I think that's good advice and I I do think sometimes people feel like what do I do you know what what can I possibly do but but those little things help yeah yeah I think um I think a lot of people they don't really know what to do you know um but I'm glad that I'm sharing this and I hope as many people as possible hear that because you know even something like I've heard this, I heard this come up once or twice, like um, a loved one sending the food, those healthy food services. Yeah. Drop off the box and it's all ready to go. Um, That would have been like incredible to have that during treatment. Um, And, you know, I think flowers and those things are so lovely, but, you know, they last for a certain amount of time and then they're gone. And I think it's important to know that gifts are very lovely. And I think it's difficult because some people like to give gifts. And to them, they feel really um, pleased with doing that. They're like, oh, I've given back. But the most important gift you can give is uh, your time and support, like yeah. external support. Um, now that you are on the other side, side of this, what is your, and I guess post-op too, because we haven't talked about as much in depth about the fact that you opted to get the double mastectomy. Um, so I'm curious a little bit about what that process was like. And then did you go through reconstruction, like yeah. that, that whole part of the journey? Um, and then also now like having gone through this under what is a year and a half, right? It's been almost two years ago when it started. So it's not even been that long. What is your routine look like? What are your, what is your like sort of medical uh, kind of procedural thing that you have to do as far as checkups go? Um, And what is it, what is like the next phase look like for you? So um, to speak to like the double mastectomy, so I was really very, very nervous to have it done. And that was probably the second most scariest thing I did because, 
you know, I was always very happy with my breasts. I had no issues. I didn't feel the need that I wanted to get a, you know, a boob job or anything like that. I was happy with my size. And I remember doing a booby mold like two days before my surgery. Cause I was like, I mean, I can, you know, I also took some photos of them because I was like, oh, we're going to say goodbye to you guys. Let's just get one cute little booby mold and some photos. So I did the booby mold, which I'm so glad I did. Um, and I mean, I was just terrified to have the surgery. I'd never had surgery to that extent before. And my surgery ended up being seven and a half hours. So in my surgery, I had my breast surgeon and my reconstructive surgeon. And the best advice I would give to any woman undergoing any type of breast surgery for breast cancer is find doctors that work together. Don't have a doctor do your breast surgery and your reconstruction. It's very, very rare that a doctor can do both. Um, I found two incredible women that work together. They know each other. And ultimately, like the outcome was far better just because they specialize in what they specialize. But um, I was in hospital for three days and I remember I couldn't really see for the first like 24 hours because they put so much Vaseline on your eyes. So I had all these people coming in and my phone was blowing up from family in the UK and the US and I was trying to wipe them and the, the, you know, the Vaseline wasn't coming off. So I had to do talk to text. I was like, I kind of see what you're saying, but I can't fully read or understand how to respond. Um, but again, it goes back to like showing up. I was in hospital and I had some friends stop by with meals because, you know, hospital food isn't always great. Um, and that, that was a, a hard reality knowing that they were no longer there. But I will say I, I was able to keep my nipples because the cancer hadn't spread. I had a, um, a nipple delay surgery. And what that means is they do a biopsy of your nipple to make sure that A, there's no cancer and B, the nipple delay surgery is done like a week before your actual double mastectomy. And what that does is essentially it gets all the blood vessels kind of moving around. So when you have a double mastectomy, your nipples don't die during surgery because there's already blood moving to your nipples. Um, that made the process for me a lot easier because I knew that when I was going to unveil and look down, I knew that I still had my nipples. And it's such a crazy thing to say, but your nipples are a huge part of your breast identity. You know, I think if I had had those removed, um, emotionally, I would have had a much harder process in my recovery. Um, so I had the double mastectomy and I had expanders put in and that's basically like a deflated implant and they fill it with saline. So you don't have it filled full up immediately. You let your body just heal. And what the expanders do is they just allow like new blood vessels to grow and they just allow your body to heal. Um, and then, you know, a couple weeks to months, you're constantly getting them plumped up. And it's kind of weird because you go from like nothing to like, oh, well, hey, it's again. But they're rock solid. They are hard as a rock. They do not move. You can swing around and just stay there. Um, so I had expanders put in and we took a trip to Europe last summer and I had my expanders in and it was just, 
it was such an odd feeling. I was wearing a swimsuit and these things just did not move. And I was like, you know, diving in and out of the ocean. And, um, but you know, they make you feel like you have breasts. No one knew that I'd just had a double mastectomy like a couple months before. Um, but that was in May, uh, 2019. And then in October, I had the final reconstruction done where I had breast implants and tissue. Uh, the, the fat transfer allows the breast just to kind of have more of like a natural, um, aesthetic. Um, so, you know, that kind of the surgery process. And then from here on out, I just had a follow-up appointment not long ago. And when you have a double mastectomy, that really is the most invasive treatment you can have. Um, so the double mastectomy, I said to my doctor, I was like, do I, you know, what do I do? Do, do I have to have a mammogram or do I have to check? And she was like, no, you don't have to really have mammograms because there isn't tissue to check. But I will say this, I daily, I still do my self breast exams. I do my breast exams every single day. Um, because I'm such a huge advocate for early detection, you know, us as women, even when you've had a double mastectomy, you still have tissue. You still have tissue. I think a lot of women just think your self breast exams is just touching your breast and you're good. It's actually not the case. Like you have to feel around your collarbone. You have to feel underneath your armpit. And obviously there's a lot of tissue that's still there. So I'm still doing my self breast exams and my future from here is I do a six month checkup, a yearly checkup. Um, obviously I'm still doing my breast exams. Still, I do an exam for my entire body. I'm always investigating. I'm like, Oh, what's this? What's that? Got to get that mole checked. Um, but it's just, you know, doing your self exams and getting checked like once a year, that's really, that's, uh, that's the staging and that's kind of where I'm at. And again, it goes back to an early diagnosis and that is why, you know, I'm not having to still have treatment and everything. No, I love that. And, and again, I, I think that's just for everyone listening. Like when you take your shower later today or tomorrow, check your body because you have to do it. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. And, um, yeah, even I know my situation had a different outcome, but after I had found what is a lump, you know, fibronoma is a non-cancerous, um, breast lump. But when I found that, I remember telling my husband, he's like, no way, you know, and somebody else is like, no way. Like I just turned 30. Right. So, um, you, you have to check. And I, Sam, I check, I always check. <laughs> I, I always check in the shower. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Do you yeah. monitor your menstrual cycle every month? I, I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm on birth control. So for me, it's Perfect. different. Yeah. So this is the challenge for you ladies, because mm -hmm. you monitor your menstrual cycle. There's apps to monitor your breast check cycle. Mm. So there's an app, it's called Keeper Breast Foundation. Okay. And you go in, it shows you how to do a breast exam. You can log it. You can log if you've noticed changes, you can log any information that you need to, you can put a reminder in your phone and it dings you once a month. So what I would love to see from you ladies, from everyone is you're logging your periods every month. So why not log yourself breast exams every month? I love it's, that. It's, yeah. It should, yeah. Hand, it should be hand in hand. You know, we, we make an exception for that. And 
you know, too, like, I think back to when we're in school and we're doing, you know, sex ed, like, why are we not educating women about not only our menstrual cycles and how to, you know, be educated on what to do, but why are we not educating our young women how to do self-breast exams? Yeah. So many women are getting, you know, breast cancer in their 20s in their thirties. I know. Yeah. Well, thank you for that resource. And we'll, um, we'll link it in uh, show notes of yours. So that's a really great resource and I'm going to look it up for myself too. So as we wrap up, we always ask three questions to our guests. And the first one is what does your self-care look like and what are your non-negotiables? Okay. My self, I would say my biggest self-care practice daily or at least once a month is checking your boobies. That's, that is my self-care and that is (laughs) non-negotiable. Um, I mean, I'm alive today because of my early detection and I always say procrastination is cancer's best friend. Um, so I think it's really important not to view self-care or checking your boobies as a chore but more like an act of self-love. I think understanding your body's subtle changes is often how you can save your own life, really. Absolutely. Love that. Yeah, thank you. Um, the next question that we ask is, what does being courageous mean to you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, being courageous, I think, uh, means staying positive in spite of the fear that cancer brings, um, in spite of statistics, in spite of changes your body goes through, your emotions. Um, I think if you can keep a really positive outlook during your journey and inspire others and constantly expressing gratitude and showing gratitude daily, um, I think that's what courageous means to me. You really, just to be really positive, even though the odds might not be in your favor with a diagnosis, just keeping a really great, healthy outlook on your outcome. Love that too. And then the final one is, do you have a book recommendation? And it could be um, really on anything, that just something that's been particularly meaningful to you over the course of your journey. I do. And this book, honestly, I think I'm like on my second time reading it. It's, uh, the book is called Heal, H-E-A-L. And it's by, I think it's Kelly Gores. I forget how to pronounce Kelly Gores. Um, she, oh, and everything to do with healing and how the power of the mind really has like the ability to heal your body in spite of medicine or uh, different treatments. Like we as human beings have the ability to heal ourselves really with our perspective. And that to me, I started reading it. I got it very soon after I was diagnosed and that helped me through my journey. And I really believe that is how my journey in a way went smoothly. It was Mm. all my perspective and expressing gratitude. Did they turn that into, is it a Netflix documentary or a Netflix show? Yeah. I did. I've seen all of them. <laughs> I've like yeah. read the book. I've seen the documentary. It's, I highly recommend it. It's life-changing. It's, you, you need to get it because you, I think every individual needs to understand like the power of their mind. Mm, if you absolutely. think 
if you think well and you think, you know, I am a goddess or I can heal myself, you will. I believe that you can do that. And um, I became very uh, comfortable with like, you know, meditation through my journey and sound bath healing. Um, and I think, you know, when we had, when I was reading the book and then also doing those other healing techniques, um, it helped with depression and it helped with a lot of the suffering that I was having. So it's, it's a game changer. Everyone needs oh. to read the book. <laughs> Thank well, you. thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your journey with us today. So if anyone wants to find you or get in touch, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at live, love, and boobs, Instagram. <laughs> um, I have uh, my Instagram account that's been sort of documenting my journey. I've been sharing information um, about my personal journey, the ups and downs. Um, and then also just, uh, you know, I, I try and keep it very uplifting and add a lot of humor to it as well. Great. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.